Hello, and welcome to another episode of From Paper to People. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Carolyn Nee Lachlan, and I invite you to join me in Genie Land for another interview in our series. But first, the Genie News. Supportive listener Stacey Ashmore Cole was interviewed recently on Bernice Bennett's blog talk radio show about her project documenting the names of enslaved persons in Liberty County, Georgia, and I recommend both the show and the episode. Stacy's project is definitely one that you should hear about. The URL, in case you have a pen handy, is bit.ly slash 2 capital G UV capital J 7 capital W. I'll put it in the show notes. Secondly, my friend Olivia Dorsey also has a fantastic project. She realized that there was no central location for researchers to locate resources pertaining to POC or Black genealogy. She decided to create a spreadsheet to aggregate them in one place. I'm going to add the Reparational Genealogy Project to it, and others have added their own projects. It's a great place to find volunteer opportunities as well as research resources. For more info, tweet her at Olivia Codes. And the podcast has a new supporter at Patreon. She's a branch, and her name is Mary King. She gets a fridge magnet for her support. Today's interview is with someone I met early on in the growth of this podcast. About a year ago, I noticed how generous she was on Twitter, and I tried to model my behavior on hers. She does everything right. She has since expanded from her own blog, research, and speaking gigs to full-time genealogy work at the New England Historic Genealogy Society. I really wanted to hear how things have changed for her, so I realized it was time for a visit. Here now is the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Paper to People podcast. I have an interview today. It's long awaited because the last one we tried had some audio problems. It was about a year ago. I'm here today with Melanie McComb. She works at New England Historic Genealogical Society, an organization that, honestly, I don't know that much about. So we're going to be learning together today. They have a site called American Ancestors that provides a lot of information about Northeastern genealogy and historical sources. So welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Carolyn. Now, last time we talked, you were living a kind of a different professional life. So when you got this position, I was really, really excited because I knew this was going to give us a whole new avenue to talk about. So tell us a little bit about what it was that you were doing when you got this position. Sure. So prior to becoming a genealogist here at NEHGS, I was actually an IT professional. I would have worked with Fortune 500 companies to use software to place uh, contingent labor. So basically temps or project work. And essentially, I was the person that would be involved with making sure the website is behaving the way they want to and the fields look lined up and everything is good and also helping troubleshoot errors. So definitely a completely different area than what I'm doing now. Yeah. But then also, the way that I got to know you was my favorite thing, and that is finding people on Twitter who are amazing and cool and supportive. And the thing that I liked so much and that I still like so much about you and your presence on Twitter is that you are consistently supportive of and uplifting to 
people who ask questions, who answer questions, and who simply are on Twitter for the purposes of being a part of the genealogical community. And um, you're involved with, you're you're on NextGen, You're, you're involved with NextGen, right? That's right. I am the social media coordinator for the Next Gen Genealogy Network, which is a nonprofit that's trying to create a community of younger genealogists. And essentially what we're trying to do is, besides creating that community, we're also trying out new areas of doing research with technology using things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and having a different way of approaching genealogy. And then you get involved in GenChat very much? Not as much as I used to, but I, I, I still am a very big fan of using, of using GenChat. I have made a lot of friends on there, and some of my colleagues, how I met them was through GenChat. So that was one of my first few communities I really engaged with online. And that's a very supportive question and answer uh, type of situation. I think I've only participated in GenChat half-baked once because <laughs> it's like 10 at night, and frequently for me, that's too late, which is kind of weak on my part, but it's true. And um, then the other one is Ancestry Hour, which is on British time. Do you do Ancestry Hour very often? No, unfortunately, just due to my hours, I'm not able to participate in Ancestry Hour. I was able to get away with it a little bit of my old job because I used to work from home. But, you know, given where I am now, I'm in a library serving patrons. So unfortunately, it just doesn't work out. I'd be able to participate in Ancestry Hour live. Maybe I can catch up once in a while. Right, exactly. But these are the things that, you know, I took from you when I was first on Twitter and I was kind of stumbling and bumbling around (laughs) in, say, January, February, March, April of 2018. And so, you know, that's what I appreciated you for. So that's how I first bumped into you. you. And that's when we we met. So everybody, if if you're not listening to my advice about Twitter and you're not on Twitter yet, first off, shame on you. Uh, Second, I'm right, you're wrong. And third, follow Melanie McComb, the shamrock genealogist, because she is a person to learn from when trying to figure out how you find your way around Twitter, being a genealogist and avoiding all of the kind of stupid political stuff that you don't want to be involved in. This is how you narrow your way and and find your little path. This is how you do it. Just follow her. So you were doing that and that's how I found you and you have a blog. Yes, I do. Yes. The Shamrock Genealogist. Right. And what is the Shamrock Shake? (laughs) So the Shamrock Shake is uh, basically there's an option to create aggregated material that's out on the internet. So it's, it's through a website, I think it's called like paper. And what it does is it basically takes different articles based on different keywords and creates um, almost like a newsletter of like, here's kind of what's happening. So I just renamed it the Daily Shamrock Shake to get your daily shake of, you know, genealogy news in the world. So it's not me necessarily putting it out there myself assembling it. It's really, you know, aggregated through a website, but it's a nice way to just kind of engage people. And it picks up different articles and blogs from other people that may not necessarily be retweeted out. So it's a way to share, share the love. Oh, okay, great. And see, this is what she does, you guys. She shares the love. And that's what it's all about, you know. So now you are in this different position. And what is it that's different about what you're doing at N-E-H-G-S? I kick, I, there are so many abbreviations out there that I'm just, I, I can't, it's alphabet soup to me, I swear. But anyway, what is it that you're doing at the New England Historic Genealogical Society? 
I'm a staff genealogist here, so my main concern is, and what big part of my job is, really helping patrons. So we help patrons whether they visit us here in Boston, if they call us on the phone, if they send us emails, and we answer reference questions. We'll have people that actually come over with like actual original documents and say, hey, I just want a second pair of eyes on reading this. I also do consultations. So a consultation basically is I help give you research guidance. I will show you different resources to use, whether it's different books or manuscripts or websites. Um, I'm very tech heavy, so I like to use a lot of online materials where possible just to make it more accessible. And we're just trying to help you get around the problem. And a lot of things I like to do is also teach. I do tutorials on how to do like land and probate research and how to use like resources that maybe are not as common as you go on Ancestry.com. So I'm trying to show you like how you can find your resources out by doing the research yourself. And that's what we want to do. We want to empower you to actually do the research yourself and have those aha moments when you break through the brick walls. That's great. You also, you said that you're, you're lecturing as well when yes. we went through this. You're doing a lot of lecturing. Now you were doing some lecturing before. Yes. Correct. Right. I, I started lecturing about actually about a year ago. Uh, in March of 2018, I actually did my first uh, lecture actually out in the field. It was the Michigan Historica Conference was putting on an event, and I basically just went and did my next-gen talk on how to use genealogies and social media and blogging and different websites just to get people more involved. And then it just kind of evolved over there. I started getting more and more uh, lectures. I did the Ontario Genealogical Society Conference uh, last June, and I recently just came off of doing uh, Roots Tech and uh, NERC, which is the New England Regional Genealogical Consortium, which basically, so it's a regionalized group for New England to to do a conference, and I'm about to go to, out to Alberta. So yeah, I've been very busy, and those were all really based on the different research and, and lectures I've been putting together on my own before coming to NEHGS. Oh, okay. So how is it that you I'm looking at, you know, I, I, folks, just so you know, I had Melanie send me a little bit of information so that I wasn't coming in here completely blind. And the, the array of what she speaks on is really rather amazing to me. And I'm really intrigued. How did you get to the point where you're speaking on this rather broad number of topics? Right here, it says that you're, you speak on Roman Catholic church records with the focus on the Archdiocese of Boston. But then you speak on Prince Edward Island records, and then you talk on Canadian census records. It's a pretty wide array to me, especially for somebody who's based in the United States for those last two. How did you come into knowledge of those records? Sure. So a lot of it's really based on my family history research. So to give an example, um, Prince Edward Island was actually where my paternal grandfather was born. So I've done a number of years of research, and that was one of the first few lectures I really put together um, besides my next-gen talk, and that's something I wanted to share with more groups. So that was a fairly common request. And then what I did is I kind of bounced off other different areas of my research, so Roman Catholic church records. I have a lot of Irish Roman Catholic. I've done a number of, uh, a number of talks and lectures um, locally here as well, sharing what we do here at NEHGS. We actually are working with the Archdiocese of Boston to digitize their records so that the records don't get lost and you can find your family. So I like to use that in a combination of with my family as a way of kind of to show different case studies of how, you know, using these different collections, different projects, you actually can do your, do research and advance your goals of getting past those brick walls in Ireland. That's so great. 
And yeah. so, so you're using your own family as an example. I think that that's exactly. It's got to be the, the the single best way of doing it. And I mean, here on the podcast, I know that when I found truly the latest one was a truly creepy and awful story, but other stories, those are the ones that I, I used to teach with as an example much of the time, because that's where it's closest to my heart. And it is absolutely the simplest way to teach. That's where is it that you speak now? Where is it that the work that you do for the society takes you? And where is it going to be taking you soon? Sure. So um, I mostly do a lot of local society lectures. So I have a couple ones out in the Boston area, and I've also gone out to New Hampshire for work, though, for different societies that want to essentially contract us out for a lecture, and they basically give us a topic, and we would then, you know, match based on what topic, you know, a genealogist would be matched by our education department. So I'm, I'm usually getting being sent out every few months. I'm usually getting a new assignment to go out and lecture. In addition, we also put in our own call for papers for more national conferences. So like NGS, FGS, Roots Tech, NERC, those are the different kind of conferences that as they come up, we will, we will go ahead and submit different lecture topics that we want to put forward by different genealogists, including myself. And then if we get picked, then we get to go to that conference um, sponsored by NEHGS. Great. Now, tell me about Mayflower 2020. Sure. So Mayflower 2020 is a very large project that's being done with many different organizations besides NEHGS. We're working with the Mayflower Society in Plymouth and several different groups that essentially we're trying to commemorate the, the Mayflower landing since we're coming up on 400 years next year in 2020. So what we had was in locally here in Boston is on April 17th, we had an open house and it was also a kickoff ceremony for these different events. We actually unveiled a miniaturized version of what we call the Boston Mayflower that actually goes out on display as well as a Wampanoag statue, which is beautiful and has a beautiful wampum belt that people can see. So that's our way of to contribute towards Mayflower. We also, as part of the open house, we had open consultations and we are putting together a number of lectures that we can go out and work with different groups on. That's great. Now, how long does this celebration go on for you? It's probably going to be going on for the next year or so. We already have been getting oh. some requests uh, for lectures coming up next year. So I think for the next year or two, it's going to be very, very busy. Great. So there's, uh, there are things to see and things to do for people who stop by. Absolutely. Go up to you guys. That's great. That's absolutely. Great. Absolutely. I would say to stay tuned on our website and our social media channels on different uh, things that we're planning for Mayflower 2020. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Now, the Ancestries site, I just saw this today because I took a look at the site. You guys actually have a tree building site. Correct. And I didn't know that. So in addition to all of the other ones, folks, there is also Ancestries at American Ancestors. So tell me about that. Sure. So American Ancestries is an online tree that uses the Roots Finder platform. So essentially, we have our brand over the Roots Finder platform, and that's customized for what we offer. So depending on what you want to do, it, it can start out as a free tree. And then if you add on things like DNA tools, we don't have our own uh, DNA kit, but we have DNA tools that you can pay into as part of that to leverage 
different ideas. Like if you want to triangulate and do more segment matching, there's a lot of different things you can do with DNA tools that is an add-on. And what I really like about the Roots Finder platform that we use, and I was actually using before we even developed this product, is that in addition to just having a tree and everything out there, the, the hinting I find to be very good because it's actually grabbing hints from different sites. You're getting it from Ancestry and Family Search and Find My Pass, and you're having all these kind of aggregated ones together. So think of it as like your ultimate to-do list, that these are things you want to go through. Now, we know that sometimes they can be bright, shiny objects going through the hints, but I can say that with a lot of confidence, a lot of times the hints I've used through the platform have actually been really helpful and they've actually helped me find stuff that I wouldn't have thought to look for. Huh. That's really interesting because yeah, you know, I, of course I mostly use Ancestry and I put things from Ancestry on family search. I'm not in love with any of the other sites that are out there. Um, I'm going to try to use them to see if I can recommend aspects of them or at least teach them because everybody's brain works differently. And just because something is my preference doesn't mean that it's the best for everyone. But I, I like that. That sounds really interesting. So a person can upload his or her DNA to this? Correct. Right. Okay. And you can also upload your GEDCOM file for your, for your ancestors. So you can upload your GEDCOM file and then upload your DNA. And typically a lot of people use GEDmatch files to upload into the site. And I think it takes uploads from other sites as well that do have the segment information. So, okay. like, my, so like my heritage family tree, I think, I believe those calls we uploaded into the site. Okay. Now, you know that there was, uh, of course, and still is, um, a lot of hot discussion about using DNA for solving crimes. And just looking the other day for articles about genealogy to post on Twitter, I saw probably twice as many about, hey, this person is solving crimes as I saw about there is trepidation about it. But it's still this incredibly hot topic. Where do you guys land in terms of privacy about the DNA? What is the policy? And what do you have folks sign off on? Do you know about that? Sure, I can speak a little bit to that. So a lot of patrons that do use our services, they may not necessarily use the DNA tools portion of American Ancestries or any other products. And sometimes a lot of people will do is they'll create either a private and unsearchable tree. That's something that usually works with Ancestry with through lines. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's really kind of a mixed bag. A lot of people I've known have gone to either privatize their tree or maybe they'll upload a GEDmatch grab their segment information, and then basically delete their account so it doesn't stay behind. So some folks do feel more comfortable doing it that way, and others are, you know, pretty receptive. So it, it really depends on the person. So we, we land on whatever you feel is comfortable. Ultimately, you own your own DNA, and we're here to help facilitate and help as needed. Great. So there are options, and exactly. that's really good because, they, you know, there's a scare every minute especially on Twitter, I see this a lot, people who are not really involved with genealogy, but who are easily scared. And, you know, for good reason, sometimes I think we'll start to say, oh, no, don't put your DNA anywhere and people are going to come get you and, and, and they get paranoid. And again, I think that it is for, for some very good reasons, but it can end up being very unfortunate because it does hinder the work. So now, personally, I want to know, how much has your life changed 
since you've gone from working at home to working eight to five, I mean, and here you are flitting around the country, speaking and everything like that just a lot more often, you know, how are things? How has this changed for you? It's been amazing. I mean, it really has been a life-changing move just to change change roles. I mean, I changed I changed complete industries. I moved. I used to live in New York and now I live in the Boston area. So, I mean, it was a giant move, but I mean, it was it's like it's life-changing. I can't just say how much that is. I mean, it's been a dream come true. I mean, how many times can you say I really want to be a genealogist and then I did it? And it's like, it's, and it's possible. And it's one of the questions I think I get asked the most. People keep saying like, well, do I need to go to school to be a genealogist? Do I need to have like, like a, like a master's degree in it? And, you know, and like, you know, oh, you look so young. How'd you get involved with it? And truth be told, I've been doing genealogy for a very long time. I've been doing it for 17 years. It's just, but now it's a point of, I just started advancing my goals of, I blogged. I started working in the library on call and I started getting myself out there and lecturing. And that's all I could tell people to do is, get yourself out there. If you really want to do this full time, you need to make yourself a public presence and you need to bring something to the table on what you want to share. And, I, and it is possible. You can make the move. It's good to hear because a lot of people want to know, they keep asking me, do a, a podcast with somebody who knows how to get the letters after your name because I'm like, dude, B-A-J-D is all I'm doing. I'm <laughs> You can't pay me enough to take another test or do a case study. You just can't. I am actually working on research for a book that is a story from my family. It's the a family horror story story uh, that I, I put up, I don't know, some months ago in the podcast. Only the more research I do, the worse the story gets. So it's definitely going to be a book. You know, it's just, it lends itself. But that's going to be in my own time. And that's what I'll do. I, I'm not willing to, to go crazy. I, I think I, I just feel like I'm a little too old to go and get, you know, another certification of any kind. But a lot of people do ask that. And it's good to know. You just have to be willing to put your name out there. Very good. <laughs> Exactly. And I think at some point I will get the certification, but it's not a requirement in this field. I mean, it really depends on where you work. Some places might require you to have it, but you're right. I mean, it's almost, sometimes you just have to have the knowledge and know you want to teach. And sometimes that's, that's enough. I mean, I help people every day, just try to find something out about their family. It's like, I may not solve your brick wall today, but we're going to help you find something to get you closer and give you another lead potentially. Now, how has the work at the job changed you as an individual researcher doing your own research? I find myself to be more careful and I think more skeptical of my own research, I find. Because I think that there are a lot of times I will, uh, maybe will hear something from a patron and something just doesn't, doesn't quite click. Because mm -hmm. part of the consultation is I'm doing preparation. I have to, you know, I put together either timelines or research logs and I have to try to, you know, make sure the document is making sense based on what they're telling me, because sometimes it's the story. We hear the story on, you know, here's what happened to your great grandmother, but the document is not telling me that's what happened. So it's getting me to have the document speak for itself more than me trying to tell the story. Do you have a lot of people come in with basically a folklore foundation for some kind of a, a, a line that it's basically a story and they're trying to prove out the story. Absolutely. That's so that's where it, it can come from. And how do people, I mean, is there a general reaction that you could say exists when people get their stories disproven? I think it depends on what we find. Sometimes 
when they find out what really happened, it sometimes it's you know it's it's an encouraging like okay now I know now I know mm-hmm. what's what's really happening and then sometimes some others might be a little more disappointed if there was something they really hoped for, like let's say they wanted to prove lineage back to a famous person for example right. you know it, the bubble does sometimes get a little bit burst but I think people get a little more appreciation when I can show them that at least this is your family it's like I may not be able to go back in Ireland or wherever but I can at least say this is your family we're tracing and you're getting closer to knowing more about them. Right. Because one of the things that I find interesting, I always figured that when it proved back that somebody was a murderer, the client would be freaking out and denying it. And what I have found every single time I found a criminal or not a criminal, somebody who didn't commit the crime but was imprisoned, it's been... I don't know, not exactly positive, but oh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense in a way. You know, like there was some, it's sort of a closing of the circle mm-hmm. for, for the right. person who's doing the, the search, who's having me do the research. And that always kind of surprises me. I, I don't know why, because I've always expected that when somebody found something out that was kind of unpleasant like that, that they were going to duck and cover. What else is it about this job that you would like us to know? And what is it that's on the horizon for you and, and for the, the, the Genealogical Society? One thing I could share, too, is a part of American Ancestors, we research more than just New England. So we, we research for any of your American ancestors. That's really where the name is coming from. So if, mm-hmm. if anybody wants to come in and research, you know, whether they're coming from Ireland, Scotland, England, Europe, Africa, anywhere, really, we can help you find more about, about your family. And I, th- I think what's going to come next is I'm just looking forward to creating a lot more talks, uh, especially around Jewish genealogy. I really haven't done any Jewish genealogy talks, and that's my other side of my family. My father's side is Irish Roman Catholic, and my mother's side is Eastern European Jewish. And I've really been doing a lot of research, and I've been starting to dip my toe in the pond about starting to blog about and try to share more information as I feel comfortable. And I think I'm starting to get closer to actually put out more talks because I think it's, it's something that I've always been trying to find a way to share it in a way that still honors our memory. Mm-hmm. that make sure I do them justice like I did for my father's side, for example. So, so that's something for me personally is something I'm working on to, to do is really to help honor more of that. And yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very exciting few years, um, you know, just getting used to this, getting used to the newest job. I mean, I say expect to see, you know, new lectures, um, expect to see newer things coming from American ancestors. We're always trying to think of new, new ways we can reach out to patrons and really help people. And whether you're a member or not, we're here to help. Um, and, and we're more, and we're more than just a library. I mean, we have a huge library here, but we also have a staff of genealogists that have niche topics from like every part of the world, essentially, that we can help you with. So don't be shy. <laughs> you know, and, and, and if you think we can't find something, I, I might challenge you and say, uh, give us a shot. I think we can probably help you find something on your family. It's a challenge. <laughs> it's, a cha- it's a challenge. <laughs> Stuff the genealogist. <laughs> so when are you speaking next and where? Sure. So I'm actually speaking this upcoming weekend at the Alberta Genealogy Conference in Edmonton. Okay. And what's the topic going to be? Sure. So I'm giving four talks. I'm giving a talk on Canadian census records, which you referenced earlier, mm-hmm. how to use uh, next-gen technology in, uh, for UK research. That's going to cover um, English, UK, and Ireland. I'm also going to be talking about 
Canadian online newspapers, how to do research in them, and my Roman Catholic Church records talk, which I've been, right. been, re been really popular lately. That's great. Terrific. Well, we wish you all the luck in the world. That's going to be fantastic. Keep Thank us you. posted on what's going on because I can always, uh, you know, throw in a little note about, hey, this is what she's doing. Go, go. <laughs> and let everybody know where you're going to be because, uh, you know, there are plenty of people who just absolutely live for the conference circuit. Those, some of us can't quite afford it, but some of us do and can, and we just, we're groupies. So Absolutely. we'll throw it out there for the groupies, okay? Thanks so much for coming by, and we will talk to you again, I hope, okay? Right. Sounds good. Thank you, Carolyn. Sure. If you want to know more about upcoming activities and regular services at the New England Historic Genealogy Society, you could find their fantastic website at AmericanAncestors.org or follow them on Twitter at Ancestor Experts. You can also follow Melanie's personal doings on Twitter at ShamrockGen and at TheShamrockGenealogist.com. You can always come visit me too at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com. You could find all my socials and find the listening notes and all the other things that are there. So thanks so much for listening today. Tune in next time when we'll talk about other fun things in the world of genealogy. And remember, do your research, don't be a Jeffrey, and expect surprises.